understand we've all felt stuck at one point or another, even the most successful people among us, because it's a rite of passage, a trial, to see if you have what it takes to be independent. The test is to prove that you deserve your destiny. Each week our goal is to bring you an inspiring story of someone who moved beyond their stranded face and found greatness on the other side. Welcome to The Stranded Podcast, and this is your host, Jessica Hurley. What's up, guys? And welcome back to the Stranded Face Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Hurley, and we have an incredible guest today that I am so excited for you to hear from, this bomb personal branding strategist, teaching women to truly master their message and just package their content in a way that they can sell it online. And listen, I know that there are so many people out there that are teaching this in abundance on social media. You can find people teaching you this all day long. But this woman in particular is one of my personal favorites. I feel like she truly speaks to your passion, your calling, and how to take any skill, whether you know you have it or not, and package it in a way that you can make money from it all while living the life you desire. And this is what I love about her. And on top of that, girl can dance. So (laughs) I'm excited to introduce to you guys and welcome her to the Strand of Face podcast, Maya Elias. Hey, Jess. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Of course. Listen, I'm looking at your living room and I feel like I've been to your house before because of these videos you post every day. (laughs) Yes, I'm glad you feel like that. You should feel right at home. (laughs) So let's jump in with that. And I can't wait for people to learn all about you and what you offer. But you have been doing these time-lapse videos on your Instagram every day of your workouts, your breakfast, everything else. And you explained why the other day and I loved it. And this is for everyone that says, I don't know what to say. I don't have any content. Explain to everyone why you do these time-lapse videos. (laughs) So I've been doing the time-lapse videos, one, because I was like, I need to get back into routine. I'm ready to like be productive and go hard, whatever. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, I'm just not going to do anything. Now I'm like, okay, I'm ready to be a high performer. So I'm like, one thing that will help me is recording it because it's going to be easy to create content by just doing the time-lapse and being able to post it. And I'm going to be able to be focused because I'm not going to have my phone in my hand the entire time. So it eliminates that distraction that the majority of us have, which is social media, always checking our phone, checking our email, all of that. Speaking of productivity, before we jump into like my organized questions, you said something on your story the other day and I was like, oh my God. You basically opened up about how you feel like you went from the beginning of the pandemic, you felt like kind of unproductive. And I think all of us have gone through waves, like whether it's now or in the beginning, we were lazy, enjoying it, spending time with family. And now we're like, wait, this is a little too long. We need to do something. We need to get up. And you said that a friend called you and said like, you know, Maya, you were on it. You were working out, you were reading, you were on your fitness routine before your yearly annual biggest event that you host. And you were the busiest you'd ever been, yet you were the most on top of your good habits, schedule, like growth habits as well. And you kind of talked about how it's almost like it's easier for you to do those things when you're focused on achievement. What kind of like woke you up this time? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think what happened was, yes, I had, you know, my biggest event. And so leading up to that, I wanted to be like mentally, spiritually prepared for all of that, you know, just doing the journaling, the stuff that I'm back into doing right now. 
And then after the event, I intentionally took, you know, a month and a half to two months off. So when the pandemic hit right after the event, it was like I was sitting at home and I was so freaking bored because it's like, well, I should be hanging out in Mexico or in like another country right now because I took the time off. So it's like I wasn't trying to work towards something because I intentionally scheduled time off. There was nothing really to work towards. So I'm just like sitting there. But then I was just kind of like, dang, like, what do I want to work on now? What do I want my focus to be? You know, what do I want to be hungry for? So I finished my book and I'm like, okay, let me try to launch this by my birthday, which is, you know, in 29 days. So I'm like, okay, that's going to be the thing that I'm going to get really excited about. So it's like, all right, we're waking up early. We're making our bed. We're exercising, we're writing the book, we're planning out the marketing plan, all of that. And then also reopening the cohort to my program. So it's like, once I have something that I know I'm excited to launch, then I want the very best version of myself to launch that. So the personal development side, you know, starts to increase as well. I love that because it's like, I feel like when you serve, you take on this like responsibility. And so like you when you do a podcast or a blog or a course or a program, now you've taken on this responsibility to say, okay, I'm going to lead and I'm going to serve a whole bunch of people through this and help them have an impact or transform their own lives. And so when you show up for people, you feel responsible for being the best version of yourself. Whereas when we're, I was just explaining to my fiance, like, I feel like I'm losing my momentum and it's because I'm not feeling the impact that I have because there's no human interaction. There's no like clear achievements for me right now. Even though this is the best time to work on something that we've all been saying, what do we all say? When I have more time, I'll get fit. When I have more time, I'll write the book. When I have more time, I'll do something. But it's like, we're all feeling the effects of like productivity shame right now. Right, exactly. And honestly, I don't think that we need to feel shameful for not being productive in the middle of a pandemic. Like it's a freaking pandemic. Like, you know, you and I were talking about this before we started recording, almost 100,000 people have died from this. And we all know somebody who has been affected by this, even if we are not directly affected. It's like the world has shut down, things have shifted. So if I don't feel like launching a brand new business right now, that's okay. So even though I wasn't productive those first couple of months, I didn't feel a lot of shame around it. It was just kind of like, okay, well, I'm just adjusting. I gave myself that grace and that space to just adjust to what's going on. And then at a certain point, I was like, okay, I'm bored of adjusting. Now I'm adjusted. Like what's new? So it's like something will hit you where you're like, okay, I want to do something differently. You know, I've been sitting in the house for over a month now. What is my new norm? I think a lot of people try to take their old norm and then put that, you know, norm of productivity that they used to have in the past into a new situation. And I think a lot of us could have used that time and space to say, what does productivity now look like for me? Because productivity in the past would be, I wake up, I go to the gym, I physically leave my home and go to the gym around other human beings. I come back, I have breakfast and I work from home, but I would maybe leave the house and grab lunch with a girlfriend really quickly and then come back home and finish my days. Or at the end of the workday, you know, I would go have dinner with some friends. So it's like, it's hard to enjoy productivity because you weren't rewarded for your productivity. My reward for productivity would be leaving the house or even watching TV. But it's like, well, now I have eight hours a day to watch TV. So it's not even a reward anymore to enjoy the damn TV. (laughs) So we really needed that space to figure out what does productivity now look like for us because things are completely different. Okay, so you're big on this. And I love what you're saying because this is the conversation I just had with my girlfriend this morning when she called me and said, Like, I'm feeling this shit. I don't know what's going on, but I feel like I can't do anything. I'm like burnt out. And I'm like, you're not burned out. There's just no rewards. 
think back to the why of why we all became entrepreneurs. And it's because that we could look forward to the trips. We could look forward to the speaking engagement. We could look forward to the breaks and the travel and all the things. And now we're just work, work, work with no reward. And you're big on rewards. You'll tell people up front, like, I'm going to do this event and I'm going to bust everybody's ass. You're going to get the best of me. And then after that, don't call me for a month. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Where did you learn that? Why do you think that's so important? Rewarding yourself? I don't know where I learned that. Honestly, there's just, you know, there's something that I see in entrepreneurship with people who work really hard that don't really reward themselves. And to me, I'm like, come on, like give yourself a break. The entire purpose of entrepreneurship is to enjoy it and to have freedom. Like if we just wanted to be entrepreneurs to make money, it's like, just go get a job. That's way easier. It's less responsibility. The money is actually way more consistent. Somebody tells you what to do. You have a set amount of hours. You actually get to clock out and go home and then not think about it until the next day. I just, I don't know where I got it from. I just thought it was obvious. Hey, if I'm going to be an entrepreneur, shouldn't I enjoy this? So I just, I want us to really understand and reprioritize why we are entrepreneurs. If I'm being an entrepreneur so I can spend more time with my family so I can save, so I can take the trips, then what should I be doing as an entrepreneur? Spending time with my family, saving my money and taking trips. I'm really saying this to Jessica in the mirror, but this is for all of you as well. When the productivity shame hits, I really want you to hear this because there are too many times when I'm enjoying the reasons I became an entrepreneur, but my mind is somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I'm like with my son, but I'm like, I should be doing this and I should be talking about this and maybe I should be on Instagram right now. And it's like, you have to stop in those moments. This is really a conversation me having with me right now. You really have to stop in these moments and be like, okay, this is why I did this. Calm down. You don't have to feel shameful for not being action driven 24 seven, just because you feel like you haven't met some insane income goal or you're not where the person is that you're comparing yourself to. Right. Absolutely. And I get it. Cause like as entrepreneurs, like, especially if you actually love what you do, sometimes it's like, okay, we've been hanging out on the beach for three days now. I'm kind of ready to go back to work. Like I miss recording the podcast. I miss my community. I miss the DMS and responding to the emails, all of that. So I totally get that. I think it's just a matter of just finding that balance of what works for you. Like, okay, what's the balance of it feels good when I'm working and the balance of this is the time frame where it feels good to dedicate this time solely to my family or my friends or whatever it is that I'm doing. That's not work. Absolutely. And that's different for everybody. That's just exploring and figuring out what works best for you. Yes. With, if you have children, it looks different, but. <laughs> Absolutely. That's probably also why I'm bored. I don't have a partner or kids bothering me all day. So I'm just like sitting on the couch like, okay, well, I've watched all of Netflix and all of Hulu. There's nothing left. There's nothing left. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Because we keep, we're so worried about how the fact is, is that when things do open back up and we want to do something, nobody's going to be for hire for babysitting. Not a soul, not one. (laughs) Everyone's going to be like, no, I'm good. I've saved money. I'm ready to go. I'm out. Bye. No, find yourself another sitter. (laughs) We're going to be out of gas. We're going to be like, too bad. Take your kid with you. (laughs) So I want to jump into what I think makes you so incredible at being a personal brand strategist and just really who should be the go-to for so many people. Because I think you and I have, I've had the opportunity of sharing some clients with you before where I've talked to people that have worked with you and they all say the very same thing. They're like your walking testimonials, how they just feel like they talk to you about their skill set, what they know, what they love. And you just spit out this like incredible way to craft their message and package it as something. And a lot of times, most of them didn't even know that they had something. Like they had no idea. 
and you are just the go at like packaging and selling these little things. <laughs> so <laughs> what do you see people struggle with the most when they come to you about finding their gift and just packaging it into content that can be sold? <laughs> Yo, the biggest thing for people is that they're too smart. They've been in their industry for way too long. And I work with people who have been experts in their field or who have been skillful in their field for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, 10 plus years. And so they don't know how to communicate what they do in layman terms because they're so in their industry bubble. And so they're saying all these high level words that somebody who doesn't understand it, just they don't understand it. So the good thing is I don't really know much besides personal branding. So when my clients come to me and they're geniuses and they're trying to explain to me what they do, I don't play dumb. I really am dumb to what they're doing. And I'm like, okay, so is this what you do? Is this it? And then I force them to dumb down to my level so they can now say it in layman terms. Then I reiterate it back to them in a concise message. And then I speak to the value of it. So then once I start to understand what they do in layman terms, I'm like, oh, so how does this help your audience? Like, who do you want to help? You know, what's the end result once they work with you? Once they can tell me that, then I know how to package it. So the hardest thing for people is first simplifying their message so people even understand what they do. Then once people understand what they do, they need to understand the value behind what they do. Explain to me value, because a lot of people hear all the time on podcasts, you know, understand your value and you need to know your worth. And to a lot of people that just seems, okay, so I go from zero to 2000 real quick. And this may look very different for a lot of people. It's not just about demanding your worth. It's also packaging your worth and proving your worth and value to other people. So what is your standard around understanding your value? Right. So when it comes to value, it really has nothing to do with monetary worth. It's not like you're not more valuable just because you're $4,000. You're just charging $4,000 versus like the person who's charging 100 and the person who's charging 4,000. There's no proof that that person is more valuable. There's only proof that that person is charging more. Mm -hmm. Value is when you can show me what that $4,000 offer is going to do for me. What is the transformation that's going to be created by investing in this $4,000 offer? What is the transformation that's going to be created by investing in this $100 offer? And that's why I always say the best marketer wins because the person that's charging $100, they could probably be charging $5,000, but because they haven't learned how to articulate the value, they're just putting a price point and hoping that people pay for it. And they're hoping that people find the value in being cheap rather than find the value in what the actual value is. So you need to clearly understand the transformation that's going to be created, the outcomes that your, your client or customer can expect and the results that they are going to get. So that is the first thing when it comes to value, the transformation outcomes, results, whatever. And then order for that transformation to then be valuable to your customer, you have to understand what problems or pain points that they're dealing with. I don't care about a 10-pound weight loss transformation if I'm trying to bulk up and gain weight. So losing 10 pounds is only valuable to the person who wants to lose weight. Losing 10 pounds is not valuable to the person who's trying to gain weight. Know what I mean? Mm, yes. Teaching somebody how to make money from speaking and, you know, in their first year of speaking, when they have no interest in being a speaker, there's no value in that. So the value is in alignment with the desires of the person and the problems that they're experiencing by not having that result or transformation in their life. 
And do you think a lot of people make the mistake of speaking to like the agenda and not the necessarily the benefit? Like they speak to the features and not the benefit? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people do that all the time because they think more content or the type of content is what makes it valuable. But it's like, if it doesn't matter if you have, you know, videos and PDFs and all of that, if inside of the video and the PDF doesn't get me the transformation, then that doesn't really matter. So, and I think people are starting to understand that a little bit more, but now I think people are, they're not paying close enough attention to what their audience wants. Mm -hmm. I think they just think, oh, well, I've been doing this 10 years for a company and here's how I've made the company money, or here's how I've been able to improve the company or whatever it is that they do. So it must be valuable. But again, it goes back to, does your audience find this valuable or do you know how to find the audience who will find value in this? Do you advise people to just survey their audience or like surveys on Instagram? Do they like through pre-qualifying surveys, ask them what they want or like, how do you, what's like a good piece of advice to kind of somebody that's been doing something for a while? How do I figure out? Because I get this question with podcast content all the time. How do I know what my audience wants to hear? Right. So I think there's a little bit of a difference between like what your audience wants to hear and what you should be selling because so if somebody comes to me and they don't have an audience right now and they have nobody to survey, I'm going to go based off of what do you bring to the table? What is your skill set? How do you want to help people? And then I have you craft a message that will then attract them versus you have an audience and now we're making up a message to just fit the mold of what your audience wants because I like the first way better because sometimes we try to be other people to fit the mold of what our audience wants, right? So if our audience is like, oh, I really would like a live event and you're not in a place in your business where a live event makes sense for you or that's not something you're even interested in, but you're putting together this live event because your audience told you they want a live event, you might not be the person who should be doing that. So when you survey your audience, you need to be really clear and specific. What is it that you would like to see from me in terms of budgeting? What is it that you would like to see from me in terms of knowing how to purchase your first home? What is it that you would like to see from me in terms of losing weight after having your first baby? You need to be really clear and specific about how you ask these questions because your audience can misguide you if you are not asking them the right questions. I love that you were this specific, clear and specific. Do you guys hear this? Because I keep seeing people where they'll be like, right in the box. What do you want my first episode to be about? And it's like, no, no, they don't know either. Like they don't know what they want you to do. (laughs) You have to give it to them, but giving them options, like you said, what do you want to know about weight loss after having your first baby? Mm -hmm. Well, things change for me. I don't lose weight the same. I don't like, I have very specific questions around that. What do you want to learn? Or what do you want to know about speaking engagements and your first, how much you should charge for your first live speaking engagement? What do you want to know about that? Asking those very clear, specific questions is going to get you much more niche down content that is specific to your audience and just asking like, what do you guys want to hear from me? Or what do you think my first product should be? What should exactly. I, you don't know. They do. right. You know why they don't know? Because they're also not marketers or sales experts. So they're going to give you all of these ideas that are not proven or tested. Like just because you ask your audience a bunch of questions, doesn't necessarily mean it's proven or tested. It's not really proven until somebody pays money for it. And then another person, and then another person, and then another person. Bam, bam, bam. If I had some drums. (laughs) 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 Okay, so let's back this up a second because I know there's people listening to this that are like, yep, okay, yes, Maya, I have a skill. Like, you're right. There's things my friends tell me I'm good at all the time. There's things I know I'm good at at my job. I'm the go-to person. But like, I want to get to this point of packaging my content. 
but I'm still in my nine to five. I'm kind of lost. Like, what's the first step? What am I supposed to figure out? How do I figure this out? How do I pick? Because I feel a lot of people get paralyzed by choosing a niche. Mm -hmm. Like that is the very like first most paralyzing step to me. I know I learned the hardest is like your first product is the hardest. After that, it's a steamroll. But it's like that first product, identifying your first niche. This is like marriage for people. They're like scared to death to commit and give it a ring. Oh my gosh, just freaking commit to something already. (laughs) I'm serious because it's like you spend three years back and forth in your head of what to do. And it's like you will have, let's say for three years, you tested stuff. And then you're like, okay, finally, I know versus three years of overthinking it and never doing anything. And then you still don't know until you test it. At least after the three years of testing and then finding a little bit of clarity, you have actual data. A lot of people are afraid to do the work to find the data from it. And it's like, like my clients will be like, okay, so this is what I'm thinking about. Here's what I might sell. Here's what I'm doing. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you unless you go out and you put a price point on it. And then you tell your email subscribers to buy it. And then we can go from there. I cannot 100% give you, Validate you know, an ac- yeah, an accurate prediction of what people will do until we actually do it. Just that. commit to something, and then put out a blog that. post. Yeah. Just be commit to something and do it consistently enough to actually test it out. Like people be like, oh, I posted a blog post and nobody read it. It's like, okay, you want to say that that's a failure because you did one thing one time? Like, come on, just put in the work. I talked about this on my last podcast. I saw Tom Bilyeu speak in person from Impact Theory Mm. and he gave the best explanation around it. He was like, you know, when they're building all these artificial intelligent robots that they're setting them at a chess table to play chess with a human and they haven't, they've never seen it. They have no idea what it is and they make a move and then they fail. They make a move and then they fail and they make a move and they fail. And then he's like, then it doesn't get up and walk away and scream and cry and be like, I'm done. It just sits there for 25 minutes and makes a move and makes a move and makes a move until it realizes what it did. It's just collecting data points. And then within 25 minutes, you'll see it just beat the person across from it because it has tried everything and failed. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, I've done all of the things wrong. Now I have no choice but to do all of the things right. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. That's a really good example. And listen, it's fine to cry. Get up and cry if you need to, but then go right back to that table and go collect more data. Oh my God, because I've cried in the car. Have you cried in the car? <laughs> I girl, I've cried everywhere. <laughs> I'll cry right before a webinar. I'll cry as I'm doing it, but I'm still going to do it. Damn. Do y'all hear this? <laughs> it's not about being the best or perfect. It's just about like, just do it. Just finish the things that you commit to. Just stick to it. There's no measurement of failure. This is all in our head. Yeah. Honestly, at this point, you don't even really have to be that great at what you do. You just have to be the most consistent because people just aren't even consistent anymore. Like you definitely want to strive for excellence and you want to strive for greatness. You know, that's great. And especially at a certain level. But I'm like, if you can just be consistent, you're already beating out a lot of people. Yes. A lot of people try to like come in like, okay, the website has to be perfect. This has to be excellent, whatever, whatever. The colors have to be right, all of that. And it's like, well, you're wasting all of this time trying to make it perfect and you're not helping anybody. Nobody's even seeing you. You could have came in with a mediocre website, done something consistently, and then built the excellence over time. Amen. Let the church pray. Do y'all hear this? Do y'all hear this? Like I just fixed my podcast management agency's website. I had a true designer develop it a week ago and we've been around for a year and a half. Like I was like, Mm. just go. 
just go, just make money, just figure this out as you go. And you can make this thing pretty like hundred percent referral base. I finally did the website. Now I feel like I can market it to like cold traffic, but I was not going to get a $1,500 website designed up front when I was building this thing. It just wasn't going to fly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm reading a book right now called Ready, Fire, Aim, Zero to 100 Million in No Time Flat by Michael Masterson. He's talking about how selling is literally the most important thing and everybody gets distracted by the business cards, the perfect Instagram feed, the website. And it's like, none of that stuff matters until you are proven that your product can make a sale. It really doesn't matter. And it's better for you to spend the money on clarifying your message so that way you are able to generate the sales. And then when you have money, then put it into the fancy website, then put it into all of the fancy stuff. The fancy stuff is not what gets you the sales. Knowing how to sell is what gets you the sales. Never. So learn how to sell first. And again, make sure that your product or your service is something that's proven. And the only way to understand that it's proven is not through your website, not through the business card not through how great your photos are. It's through, will somebody buy this? And can I get multiple people to buy? Truly, why would you even build a website? Get 10 testimonials and then build a website. You need a website with testimonials on it. Exactly. You are premature in creating a website without (laughs) testimonials on it. Right. Go get some proven impact. So I want to ask this because I feel like there might be some people listening that are not there yet. They're in there. And I heard you say this in an interview that I want to bring up is maybe you're at your nine to five, you have looked up recently and you're like, okay, I've got more than enough time to start a side hustle, more than enough time to start a business. I know I'm good at some things, but I'm quite confused. And you said in this one interview, your nine to five is your first client. And I was like, whoo, because when I finally realized that my corporate job, half the stuff I do in my business right now, I already learned from my corporate job. Mm-hmm. So what do you mean by this, that your nine to five is your first client? Yeah. So your nine to five is usually your first client or like your first case study, assuming that you want to go into business for something that you are doing at your nine to five, of course. So if that's not, if you're not trying to do something that you're doing at your nine to five, then this advice is not applicable to you. But let's say you are a graphic designer for a, I don't know, an automobile company or something like that. And you are, you know, maybe you're making like $11 an hour and they give you like this brand guide and they really want more people to, you know, come to their dealership and they're like, hey, these are the flyers that we need. We're going to test out some different marketing messages on it. We're going to test out the colors, all of that. You're learning all of that stuff while you are at your job and you're getting to see how your skill set is advancing this company, even if it's in a little area, right? Maybe you didn't help the company make $500 million, but maybe you got them three more customers on a Saturday. So you want to be able to quantify how your skill set and the work that you're doing is advancing your company who is your client. And you want to be able to case study that. So that way, when you go off and try to go get more clients, you can say, okay, I'm a graphic designer and I create flyers, but I don't just create flyers. I'm not just good at Photoshop. I know how to create flyers to get more people in the door for your business. So you take what you have learned at your company and you just translate that message into how you can help other people who want similar results to the company that you work for. I love this because it's like I've talked to, there's so many people I talk to when they're starting a podcast or preparing to build their, like looking to build their brand. And when I ask them a couple of questions, I'm like, you are not new to this. You've been doing this. 
Like you've been doing this, just not, you're literally just taking a skill set that, like you said, you've been giving to someone else. And now we're bringing it to the forefront of the internet as you as the expert. There's nothing to be scared of. You are indeed the expert in this. You just have never marketed yourself as the expert because someone else has marketed you as their expert. Right. And it's like this whole time you've been marketing yourself as the employee to do the work. So why not market yourself as the expert to do the work? It's the same thing. Companies have to hire skilled people to get the job done. Y'all. This girl's making this so black and white. If y'all don't understand this, I don't know what else to tell you. Listen to her when she says anything. <laughs> I want to back up into your story, though, because I've heard your story several times. Matter of fact, you were, weren't you on Side Hustle Pro? Mm-hmm. Yeah, twice. Yeah, way back. One was way back, right? Yeah, 2016. Yep. I heard that one on a car drive and I remember thinking like, holy crap, this girl has it figured out. <laughs> About you started on MySpace with like specific designs and then you were doing the graphics and but you said something in a recent interview and I was like, man, like for anybody that maybe you have a small skill set or maybe you have a passion that you see other people doing. Like I get on the phone with people all the time that want to start a podcast, never listen to a podcast episode. Like, but are like uh, feel called to want to do this. Right. Right. You talked about you went from just designing flyers to designing websites. And you were like, you told someone you knew how to do it before you did it. You said, and then I just YouTube my way to the money. And I was like, (laughs) I said, listen, if that don't explain to people that there are no limitations, there should be no limitations. If there's a skill that you want to learn, there is YouTube University. So explain to people that may not feel like they're fully the expert yet, or maybe they don't know enough, or maybe they don't have the certification or whatever it is. Why should there be no limitations? Because you YouTubed your way to the money. Girl, man, I'm saying I had so much confidence back then. I was like, like 20 years old. It was, like, it was like an unhealthy amount of confidence and I loved it. I still have a little bit of that in me and I love it. And I was actually going to say like how you were like, people want to start a podcast, but they've never like listened to a podcast before. I will say I'm glad that I had the confidence, but had I studied other web designers, I would have gotten further ahead quicker. I did eventually start to study other experts because that's really where the T is. And like, just listening to you interview me and how you're like, oh, I heard this other interview, this other interview that you've done. I'm like, man, she's an excellent interviewer. So I've been on podcasts where it's like, you ain't like, you're the worst podcast interviewer ever. There's no way you have listeners. You have not studied me. You don't know me. Right. You haven't studied me. You haven't studied the skill of interviewing. You haven't studied, you know, how a good podcast should be done. So I'll say, you know, back then, you know, I was telling people I was a web designer and I never designed a website. But the reason that I did tell people that, because I was like, listen, if I can code a MySpace page, how much harder can building a website be? I'm like, oh, it can't be that much harder. It would be like if you were like, okay, well, I run a podcast. I'm sure I could do a live interview on national television, right? So it's almost like that's how I look at the comparison. That's real. <laughs> Why keep myself at MySpace when I could be a web developer? You know, right. Why keep yourself at a podcaster when you could go interview somebody on your own TV show. So that's how I was thinking back then. And I just had a lot of confidence because it's like, you know, I can figure it out. It's figure outable. I can go research it. I can go study it and then I can get better. And all of this information is available on YouTube University and Google, my friends. It is. It is. Yeah. All you have to do is be two steps ahead. Exactly. And that's a great starting point. And then when you really want to like, accelerate your growth and even learn like the marketing and the sales behind what you do, then working with the coach or finding some type of course is going to be really good. I think I built my skill set of design for free through practice and through YouTube videos. 
And then I learned the marketing and the business behind it by investing in courses. So let's go back to that because I saw your face when I said that, when I was like, I talked to so many people that would be like, I want to start a podcast and they've never listened to a podcast. And I'm like, well, then you're solely fishing for the outcome. I know just by talking to them that they're fishing for the way that podcasting can expand their brand and their reach. But then you're asking me questions like, how should my first interview go? What should that sound like? And I'm like, have you ever listened to a podcast? I'm like, oh, no. And I'm like, well, that's a problem because in order for this content to be valuable, you have to be pretty good or study or be passionate about interviewing people. I am truly passionate about interviewing people. And I only interview people that I truly like and love because I know my audience will truly like and love their content Mm -hmm. as well. So what's the difference between YouTubing your way to the money, which is like not putting limitations on yourself versus you kind of need to be the expert in something to sell it to someone. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's like you said, just being two steps ahead. Like when I started selling websites to people. I was not an expert in web design or branding at all. I hadn't even really fully understood the term brand when I was helping people build their brand. All I knew was that I knew how to code on the internet. And when I put in a code, the outcome was it came out pretty on a MySpace or a website. So for me, it was more so even though I had never built a website, I still had a connection for that to make sense. It wasn't just like, oh, I see people making websites. So let me go be a web designer and tell people I'm a web designer, but I've never coded anything in my life. Again, I think there was a connection because it was like, I was just thinking, what's next level? What is What would the next level of a MySpace designer be? Oh, it's going to be a web designer. You know, mm-hmm. so I think it's thinking about where you are now and then what's the next level to that that actually makes sense. And that's being married to the growth. There was also a part in that interview where you talked about how like you were doing the WordPress, you found WordPress, you started coding and then you were like, and it was kind of batched and funny looking and it was like, do it yourself. And then you said, and then I went invested in somebody to figure out how to do it better and make it flow better. And, you know, and it was like, you just continued to commit to growing, not just being stuck in this one realm of design or saying, this is what I know how to do, pay for it or don't. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I was really addicted to the growth and and getting better. You know, I dropped out of college, but I spent a lot of my time doing a lot of self-taught stuff. Like I love the education of becoming a better designer, or I love the education of understanding how to articulate my value as a designer so I could get higher paying clients and love the education around how do I build out a proposal so that way people can trust me as an online agency. So I was always studying how to get better. And like I said, initially, I would study the skill set of a designer. Then I would start studying the experts who were the best at design and knew how to run a design company or a design agency. Because it was like, okay, the skill set's only going to take you so far. How do I really market this? How do I position myself as one of the best in the industry so I could get consistent clientele? Mm, I'm going to ask you a personal question. Can you talk to me to a second for a second about dropping out of college? Did you have the family that was like, please no, hell no, oh my God, no, please finish your degree first? Did you have the information that was like, I'm going to quit, drop out of college and X, Y, and Z, don't worry about it, I have a plan? Like, what did that look like for your family? Because I know you're like pretty family oriented. Yeah, I mean, so I'm for first generation American to Liberian parents. So there was nothing in their DNA that would want their child to drop out of college. <laughs> at all. And this is all you need to do. Yeah, exactly. And especially to drop out of college to, you know, build websites on the internet. Like, what does that even mean? You know? So, you know, I think the online space and, and making money online was still a fairly new concept. I dropped out in 2000. 
what year are we in? I would dropped out in 2013. So it was still fairly new. I started the MySpace thing in 2008. So they had seen me like dabble in and out of this business for five years, but I thought they were going to disown me. And I didn't even really have the level of maturity to know how to communicate like, okay, this is how I should present it to them. I'm going to tell them what my plan is. And when I don't know how to break bad news to somebody, I just rip off the bandaid and I just stare at them in the face like they should understand what I'm doing and they shouldn't be freaked out at all. So I, I, you know, I'm shopping at the grocery store in like the middle of like the taco aisle. And I call my mom on the phone, like, damn, let me just tell her now I had already dropped out at that point. I'm very like, I'm the child that asks for forgiveness instead of later. Yeah. So it's like, I tell everybody things that I do after the fact, I'm just going to take the action and then just tell people after. So I tell her, you deal with it later. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And my mom was like freaking out, crying, all of that. And I thought she was going to be the one that was like more supportive of it and kind. And I thought my dad was going to be more strict. And my mom's having like a mental breakdown. I'm like, oh my God, you're so dramatic. And then when my dad and I talked about it, he was like, I mean, yeah, I'm disappointed, but you've already done it at this point. So, I mean, they weren't excited, but it's whatever. It was the best decision I've ever made. And both of you and your sister are like internet sensations, which is hilarious <laughs> to me. Not yeah. using your degree in any forms. Not using it. I mean, we were, we probably both went about it not in the smartest way. You know, we were young and in our, you know, in our younger 20s, we were stupid, but it's like, it's whatever. We were ambitious and we were willing to do the work. We were willing to struggle, whatever. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I have conversations constantly about college on here because the problems with my credit score are solely because of student loan debt (laughs) that that I despise for getting a master's degree that I don't use. So, (laughs) Oh my gosh. And some people say, you know, the experience was worth it. The experience was great. And I don't, I'm not anti-college. I don't know that my son will go to college, but I'm not anti-college, but I, I do believe it took me out of a situation and matured me much quicker than anything else would have could not buy that. I'm positive it's the experience that got me to where I was at. But if duped a little bit, I feel a little duped a little bit, a little bit of a scheme in there. (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. It's debatable. It's up for discussion all the time. That's why I love having this conversation with people. Yeah. I'm not anti-college either. I think it's a privilege to be able to go to college and drop out. You know, for some people, college is the escape from a bad neighborhood or college is something that they're super proud of because their parents weren't able to. So the experience is completely different for everybody. And, you know, the fact that I'm privileged to be able to be like, well, I'm going to drop out and I'm just going to figure it out. I have somewhere to live regardless of what happens. You know, that's not lost on me. So definitely not anti-college, but I am pro doing what you really feel like is best for you. Mm, That right there. And if you are, I know the majority of you are probably 28 to, you know, older and you're in your mid thirties right now and you're feeling like everything you're doing is only a piece of the impact and there is more and you have things you're passionate about and you're obsessed with empowering other people or impacting other people, then I really need you to listen to this episode word for word because there is a way. I'm sure there was a time when Maya thought that this was not going to work. I know there was a time I thought when this was not going to work. And yet we know so many people around us that have built businesses that they truly love and have lives that they desire. It's possible. Mm -hmm. Totally possible. Yep, it is. It is. All right. I have two questions for you. I'm going to leave you be. I'm like, I'm trying to limit my questions. I have so many things I want to ask you. So... (laughs) What have you learned or what are you still learning about your business and your personal life throughout this pandemic? (laughs) I'm learning that I am extremely fortunate and I'm 
really actually grateful for the amount of trust that God has placed in me because, you know, right before this, I had my live event and then I launched my mastermind in one of my programs. And so it's like, I've had a coach like over 20 women throughout this pandemic on how to run their business. And they've all been doing extremely well. And they've seen the most success in their business that they have at any other time in their business. And I'm like, dang, we did it. Like, I feel like we did it. Like me and my clients, we did this together. So I'm just like, it's, you know, the timing is very interesting to me. I just kind of see it as, dang, God really trusts me with his daughters to like really speak life into them and be there for them. Because I think as I've matured as a coach, it's so much more than just, oh, give them the strategy and they plug it in and it goes to work. It's like they really trust me as a guide and a mentor and things that are going on with their life. And we can have honest conversations about what's going on at home and what's going on with their job and how they're feeling mentally about all that's going on. So I'm just grateful for the position that I'm in to be able to serve. Like, it's the best feeling. Like I feel completely honored that I get to do this for a living. And I feel honored that I've been able to serve during this season where it's been hard for a lot of people and just helping people excel, not even just like maintain or just like simply survive through this, but like really excel through one of the toughest experiences that we'll ever go through. Do you feel like you've seen a lot of opportunity during this time? Because my eyes have been very open to, and again, this is not to underestimate how many people are suffering. This is not to say that this is not happening. However, I keep talking about this, whereas I feel like the week the pandemic like progressed insanely, like the week where they were like, we're shutting the world down. I feel like everybody felt the same fear. Nobody was exempt. Everybody was like, <gasps> like, what's going to happen to my business? What's going to happen to my life? What's going to happen? Like everybody freaked. And then for me, it was this slow roll over the next two weeks of like, oh, my business is fine. It's actually doing well. And there's tons of opportunities in the midst of this. And I feel like a lot of businesses either went very far left or very far right in this. What do you feel like a lot of people, like a lot of your clients and you saw, did you see new opportunities? Did you see that they by chance created a resistant business by being online? Like what were some of the trends you saw that surprised you? Yeah, I think one, I think uh, that unhealthy amount of confidence that I have rolled over into my clients. Cause I'm like, girl, obviously you should still sell. Don't decrease your prices. In fact, charge more. Cause you don't even feel like working during this time, just charge more. So like just the amount of confidence that I have definitely spills over into my clients. And honestly, I think the reason that they were able to win in this season was because everybody else was too afraid to show up for their business. Everybody else was too afraid to serve. Everybody else was too afraid to remain consistent. So it's like, if you're still willing to serve and show up for people, there's still people out there who are willing to invest in themselves so that they can get whatever service it is that you are providing. So I don't even know if it's really about like, oh, this is the opportunity. This is the time to strike. It's more so this is the time to be resilient and remain committed and continue being consistent. And of course, you know, have a level of sensitivity to what's going on. But having sensitivity to what's going on doesn't mean shrinking or reducing your prices. It just means being aware of what is going on. But you still have to sell, you still have to show up, you still have to be a business owner. You don't just all of a sudden get to not be a business owner just because the world is shutting down. You're just now a business owner with an awareness of what's going on in the world. Okay, this right here is so critical. And maybe we go into this a tiny step further is what do people need to understand that are business owners that don't like, 
I'll use, I'll throw myself under the bus. I remember writing the email. Like I saw the emails coming in of people. Like it was like businesses taking an opportunity to say, hey, I see the pandemic. I see what's happening. Here's how we're going to help you. Like from credit card companies to everything. And you know, and a lot of them didn't even offer help. They just said, hey, we see it. We know what's happening. Here's what we're willing to do in the way of something happening to you. And so I said, let me get ahead of this. And I sent the email and I found myself so many times like offering to solutions to problems I didn't even know whether or not they had. And I was like, it was like, write it, delete, write it, delete, write it, delete. And then I was like, okay, I can either, I have to serve these people no matter what. So I provide them a, here's what is staying consistent. And here's me letting you know that nothing changes. My business does not change because other people are affected. We will still serve you. And then B was, here's some options if you are struggling, but this is like, we'll talk about your personal situation and we'll cater to that. We're not discounting anything. We're providing payment options. We're providing other options in lieu of something happening to you, but we're still in service. We notice you, we see you, and we do understand if something happens to you. And it was so hard for me to distinguish the difference between being human and being a business owner and understanding that it was not selfish of me to not say like, hey, we'll dramatically discount this if you want to do this or we'll do this because of what's going on. That was the human in me. And what would you say to people that are business owners that felt really torn and showing up? Because I know so many people that just didn't want to post and they didn't want to sell. They were like, that just seems so insensitive of me to sell. Mm-hmm. But where do we distinguish this human aspect from this business owner mm-hmm. aspect? That's a really great question because I think people struggle with this even when it's not a pandemic. But I think now that the pandemic is here, people are able to easily use that as the excuse as to why they don't charge what they should be charging. And you have to think about the bigger picture of what this money is really doing and how it's serving the bigger picture for you. So for me, like one of my top values is generosity. I love giving. It's just something that's fun for me. So because I'm charging full price, I'm able to give freely. So instead of me trying to serve by still charging people and discounting it, I get paid full price and I have extra money because I charge in a way that one, it speaks to the value, but I'm able to save and have a lot of money to actually be able to give. So for those of you who have heard of me and you follow me on Twitter, you see very frequently that I'll just be like, hey, I have an extra $500. Send me your cash app or who's a black creative. Let me, you know, tell me what you have. Let me buy it from you. You know what I mean? And then even recently, like with the graduations, I'm like, hey, if you're graduating, something you can do right now is create an Amazon wishlist and maybe just have a virtual party. In the meantime, send me your Amazon wishlist. And I picked a couple of graduates and just bought for them. I'm able to give in the capacity that I want to give because I did not shrink as a business owner. And I think that's what it's about. Like, and everybody, you know, you have to give at the level that you're able to give. So maybe if discounting is it for you, but discounting myself, it doesn't make me feel good. And I don't think that it serves my people. I really believe that my clients who get the absolute best results are the ones that pay in full. If I give the same program to somebody for free and I give the same program to somebody who paid in full, the person that's going to have the absolute best results is the one that pays in full. So I actually feel it a responsibility to not discount my work and then take the money that I get from getting paid in full and then give that money to people who actually need it. Mm, Listen, listen to me. This goes all the way back to you cannot pour from an empty cup. Every time I taught, when I first did coaching and consulting and I wasn't even clear on what service I was offering, I would end up with women that would say, well, I really want to start a nonprofit. And I was like, with what funds? Do you have a business? Well, no. Why? In God's name, would you do that? Mm -hmm. Like, I understand that you want to serve, but you have to be selfish to then be selfless. 
Selfish comes first. You have to be selfish, make the funds, make the way, create the business, create the income, create the transformations, and then go be selfless. And so to hear you say that you have to charge what you're worth, give value, create income, and then take what's left over and be generous with it is the very clear message of not pouring from an empty cup. Do y'all hear this? You can still be selfish and selfless. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we have this weird misconception that serving has to be free if it, you know, for really doing it from the heart. No, my client still paid me $7,500 and I'm still serving them from the heart. You know, I'm not serving them because I have money. I'm serving them because this is what I love to do. It's just, that's just the exchange that it takes to get access to this level of heart from me, right? So like you might love, you know, let's say you have some male friends and you're friends with them and you guys have conversations, whatever. They don't get the same level of access to you that your fiance does. Because it's a different type of investment. It doesn't mean that you don't love your friends. It doesn't mean that you don't give them a part of your heart. But there's a level of investment that has to be made to be able to get access to you. And y'all been letting these friends leech off you for free all this time. (laughs) Sit right up in the middle of your environment and just receive with nothing in return. I keep telling them, listen, if you're in your 30s at this point and people, your best friends aren't exchanging value with you, they need to get up out of here because there's no space for invaluable people at this point. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's not. It's like, what do you bring to the table? It doesn't have to be money or whatever you think it is. It's just like, how are you showing up for me? Like figure out what I need in the season. Again, being valuable or bringing something to the table is based on what that person needs in the moment, you know, even in friendship. Like my closest friends, are so far removed from the business world. Like one's in the medical field and one is a school teacher. They really can't offer me that much advice when it comes to business, but that's also not what I need from them. But they're definitely the people that I can show up to when I'm having a bad day or when I need prayer for something. That to me is more valuable than what I could get from somebody who can say, go Maya, I'm so glad that you made $5,000 today. You know what I mean? So it's understanding what the people you are in a relationship need specifically from you. You have value in a way that other people don't have value. Figure out what they need from you. Mm, Listen. Okay. So that I can keep this under an hour to respect your time. Talk to me about your baby built to impact. (laughs) So built to impact. Oh, I love it. Built to impact actually was an agency a few years ago. And I was very, just so convinced that it was going to be my million dollar business. And I'm going to just, you know, build people's personal brand. I was still coaching at the time and I had taken a couple years off of design because I was like, oh my God, I hate done for you services. I never want to design again. Then I figured, okay, if I design for them and teach them the strategy, there's no way they can mess this up. They still found a way to mess it up. So I'm like, okay, I'm getting rid of it. <laughs> so I got rid of design again. I'm like, no, this just isn't it because my heart is always, you know, in the mindset of how can I create the highest level of impact. And I couldn't do that with agency because I always want people to get the best results. And they just weren't getting that with me doing the work for them. I started recognizing that my clients were getting results when I would tell them what to do. And they had the responsibility of going to do the work on their own. So I'm like, okay, can I take what I do with my clients one-on-one and do this in like a mass setting? And so to test that, I started Impact Weekend, which was a two-day mastermind event, you know, so 
before it was what it is now, which is, you know, over a hundred women. And I'm teaching them over the span of three days. It was 12 to 15 women who would come to Atlanta. And then I would teach them what I would teach in a VIP day. I taught them that over the span of two days. And then they took that information and over the next couple of weeks, they went and got results. So then I'm like, okay, I did it a few more times. I think I did Impact Weekend on that 15 women scale for about a little over a year. I did it four times. I'm like, okay, I can do it with 15. Now, can I put this in like a program? So then I created a program. And as I'm creating the program, I'm also thinking how I can make Impact Weekend a bigger live event. So I create this six-week program. And then I get six people to join the program because I'm like, now I want to test it in group coaching instead of in person. I always test these things out because I want to make sure that I can fully deliver. I still charge for beta testing, right? Because the value is still there. But I test it out before I expand because I want to make sure that I can hold space for these people. So I test it out with six people in my accelerator program. And I'm like, okay, they're getting results. And then the offer was, you get to come to Impact Weekend, which will be my live event. So that's like, I've been tweaking and testing it. And so right now, Built to Impact is my educational program, my accelerator where I teach people how to launch their high ticket offer, take their skill set and package it into some type of coaching program. And then it's also my three-day live event impact weekend where I teach them how to build their online brand and position themselves as experts. And I absolutely love it because I love the community of women that I attract, but I just also love that they're getting results and it's happening quickly. It's not taking them a year to get results. They're getting results within you know two months and I see them making money. And that makes me happy because I know they've been in a place of lack for so long because they didn't have anybody that could say, you're playing yourself, charge higher. Here's how you package it up. Go run your business and go impact people. Mm. Mm. How many people were at Impact Weekend this past year? <laughs> so it was a little over 80 women. Yeah. And I already have 80 people sign up for the next one. And I think we want to have a little over 200 when we open up ticket sales again. <laughs> I know. I'm excited. I'm excited. Watching that event and knowing people that are in Built to Impact, I just, to me, I feel like you have found a very clear way to serve people that fits you and your expertise perfectly. And you don't play outside of those boundaries. And that's what I love. That's why I always call you like the boundary queen in my mind. Because you're like, (laughs) these are the things I do. Don't ask me anything else outside of this. I don't do anything beyond this because this is what I'm good at. And this is where I will get you results. I'm not playing outside of this because for what? For what? Yeah. It's too much work to even do that. I really do feel like I found that like perfect thing for me. And it's taken years of trial and error. It's taken years of trial and error. And so you learn to niche down and figure out what your thing is after doing the work. If I didn't do MySpace pages, I never would have become the web designer. If I didn't become the web designer, I never would have become the strategist because I had to understand where people were lacking when it came to having websites so not making money. If I didn't try to relaunch an agency as built to impact and then hate it, I never would have had Impact Weekend. So it's years of trial and error and failing and then relaunching and trying this and maybe even looking a little bit crazy on the outside. Maybe some people were like, damn, Maya just had an agency and all of a sudden she doesn't. What is this girl doing? She has no idea what she's doing. Maybe people were talking about me in that aspect. But what's worked is being consistent and not being afraid to pivot and just making sure that I kept impact at the forefront because I'm always like, what offer is going to get people the best results and is also in alignment with what I enjoy doing? 
Mm. And that 80%, like getting to that 80% window of doing what you love and knowing you can get results in it is like the perfect sweet spot. Yes. It's the best feeling. It's so good. I love what I do so much. I feel like so fortunate every day. I'm like, oh, this is my life. Like this is- How did I get here? Yeah. Yeah. How did I create this? I love watching you. I love watching you because I know that you are operating in a space that like truly feels good to you. You can see it. You can feel it. Like you can tell that this is, you're the expert because this is what you love to study. And this is what you love to gift people with. And you know that it generates results. So there's like no better place for you to play in. Yeah. That's the best feeling knowing like the information that I put out is going to create transformation in somebody else's life and business. I'm like, oh, this feels good. Speaking of feeling good and being in that sweet spot, you did something last year and I think you've done it twice. And this, this was the cherry on top for me. This was like where I was like, I really like the way Maya moves. But then you did this and I said, who does that? (laughs) Who does that? I have seen maybe five really big entrepreneurs do this. And you produce an income report Hmm. where you show everybody basically exactly how you make your money. So it's like if, and it's downloadable for free. Everybody has access to it. And it's like, so if you're wondering how someone makes a quarter million, if not more in their business, there's a blueprint out there that's literally free. What inspired you to do that? I think I just, I love being able to see my growth and I love being able to share with people like, yo, I started out by charging for $35 MySpace pages and here's where I am now. Here is the growth. Like, it's crazy. It's like an 18 year old that thought she was really out here living her best life by charging $35 to $50 for a MySpace page. Like, I thought I was it back then. I don't know. Again, it's the confidence. It's like, girl, why are you confident off of a $35 MySpace page? Come on. But I was. And just now, even looking back, and I'm like, wow, I did it. And sometimes I still can't believe it. Like, every time I have a call with like my finance manager, or if I'm on a call with my assistant, we're in the middle of a launch, I'm like, it's almost like I'm a real entrepreneur. It's almost like I I run a real business. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's hard for me to believe. And then when I excel, like when I hit the million dollar mark, I'm going to be like, wow, guys, I thought I was doing it at 300,000. Like, that's so funny to me. I think we're a legit business now because we make a million dollars. So I want people to be able to see that progression because it's like, I want to normalize success. I want to normalize what, you know, a first generation black girl who was at a community college making $50 for a MySpace page is now running, you know, a business that's making over a quarter million dollars. I want to normalize that you can come from wherever you can not know 100% what you're doing. I want to normalize that consistency will bring you the success that you want and investing in yourself and not giving up and putting people first. And I also want to normalize, like I can put God first and still charge what I want to charge and run a successful business. Why did you, what, why, why'd you have to leave them with that gym? (laughs) I can put God first and charge what I want to charge and still live my best life. Oh my God. (laughs) Listen, you dropped some gems. You were an absolute pleasure for people that are listening to this. And for some Godforsaken reason I've never heard of you or don't know who you are. Where can they stalk you? Where can they find you? Where can they learn more about Impact Weekend? Yes. So you can learn more about Impact Weekend at builttoimpact.com. And you can talk to me on Instagram at instagram.com slash Maya Elias. And I'm always posting on my stories. So respond to one of my stories. Let's spark a conversation. You were awesome. Thank you so much for your time and dropping all those gems. We appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. 
Thanks again for joining us on another episode of The Stranded Podcast. If you felt inspired or moved today, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. You can learn more about us and our guests at thestrandedphase.com. And don't forget that your stranded phase is a rite of passage on your journey to greatness.